Hello, everyone, and welcome to Nisa Today FC. I'm Josh Taylor, your host. And for today's episode, for Nisa, it's been pretty quiet for the past month since our last episode, but we did have some news stories that broke since our last episode. So I will share my thoughts on what's going on with Nisa. Got a couple of expansion teams that were announced and we also have player tryouts going on for a couple of teams and of course for Nisa Nation. Nisa Nation they have a new director that's going to be leading that organization for Nisa Nation as it looks to return in spring 2023. I also got to talk about the World Cup. I know that tournament's been distracting us for the past month. Kind of a good thing since there's not much else going on soccer-wise right now other than the World Cup. So I got to share my thoughts about what's been going on in that tournament. And of course, we got to talk about the U.S. men's national team. So I will share my thoughts on that and more. So stay tuned, guys. I got an exciting episode coming right up. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I'll share my thoughts on the FIFA World Cup in Qatar and how that tournament's been playing out so far and what's been going on in NISA since it wrapped up its championship match last month in a moment. But first, I want to talk about the news that stunned the soccer American community this past weekend when... U.S. soccer journalist Grant Wall passed away while covering the FIFA World Cup in Qatar. Now, when the news first broke, there was lots of speculation going on about what happened and everything. And the truth is, guys, we're not going to know exactly what happened until later on. All we know right now is what's been reported, and that is is that he was covering the Argentina versus Netherlands match last Friday. He collapsed, was taken to the hospital, and passed away. Now, I did see some updates this past weekend from his brother, Eric Wall. He was tweeting updates just to clear up any miscommunication and inform people what's been going on. Now, I did see an update yesterday on social media that they did bring over his body and all his possessions and everything back to the United States. So that's the latest update we have as of right now, recording this podcast on a Tuesday. But I also want to talk about Grant Wall's legacy covering the American game for soccer. And Grant Wall, I never met him personally, but I read his books. I watched his shows. He had a, a Planet Football. That was a show when he was with Sports Illustrated. I watched that show quite a lot. And I read his stories on Sports Illustrated. Well, obviously, he was on TV. He was he was covering the World Cups, many World Cups. And the one thing that, you know, I, I respect the most about Grant Wall was that he had the courage to highlight issues affecting soccer, whether it was Human rights, LGBTQ plus issues, women's rights. He was not afraid to, to talk about 
those issues. He definitely made it a huge impact in the American soccer community. And as I mentioned, he worked with Sports Illustrated, CBS Sports, and Fox Sports. And he was recently doing freelance work, posting his work on his website. Over the weekend, you know, it was very emotional. A lot of people sharing their stories about Grant Wall and how much he's made an impact on their lives. And some people I saw on social media talked about, you know, good interactions and, you know, some bad interactions with, with Grant Wall and how he turned those bad interactions into positive ones. And he was always open to a discussion. And I think with Grant Wall, that that's just who he, he was. He cared about the beautiful game. He met so many people that cared about soccer. And even though they may have differing opinions about different issues or different things, he was always willing to, to listen. And that's just who, even I don't know him, but all the stories I've read about him and everything, it, that's what a lot of people on social media have talked about. And one that kind of stuck out to me was one from uh, that stood out to me was from uh, Keila Knapp. She talked about when she was at the 2014 World Cup in Brazil, and she talked about how she was kind of new to digital content creation and all that, and working with Grant Wall and how he helped her kind of figure things out to put some nice digital content together. I'm not sure it was for Fox Sports or with, with FIFA, but I did see that she talked about her experience working with Grant about that. And even LeBron James, LeBron James plays for the LA Lakers. He talked about Grant Wall. Grant Wall, when he was starting out Sports Illustrated, he was covering college basketball. And LeBron James at the time, he was in high school. He was at St. Vincent, St. Mary's High School before he you know, eventually joined or got drafted by the Cleveland Cavaliers and you know was in the NBA. But Grant Wall covered LeBron James for a bit. And LeBron talked about Grant Wall. And one of my coworkers that I work with at uh, NCTV 17, uh, Alex Campbell, he talked to he talked to him about on Twitter about how Grant Wall was a, a mentor to him. So, so many interesting stories from so many people about Grant Wall. I have a brief story about Grant Wall in my in my connection, and that was when. I bought his book, Masters of Modern Soccer. This was back in 2018. I think it came out right before the FIFA World Cup and Russia started that year. And the book talked about kind of putting you in the mindset of people he interviewed and talking about how the modern game of soccer has changed from like so many years and putting yourself in issues like in the player's perspective. And it was really cool. You know, Christian Pulisic, he talked about his relative pursuit of progress. He also interviewed Vincent Company, who was playing for Manchester City at the time, talking about his opinion about modern game and how it's changed. And Vincent Company talked about that it's an improved version of what it used to be. 
He also interviewed Xabi Alonso, Chicharito, Manuel Neuer, Roberto Martinez, who was a Belgium at the time, and sporting director Michael Zork. I reached out to him on Twitter just to say, hey, I, I bought your book and you know, read the book. That was really cool. And I was just like thinking, since he has so many followers and he could be doing Zooming other things, I didn't think he was going to you know, reach out to me. But an hour later after I tweeted him, that, hey, I got your book and everything, he got back to me and said, thank you. And I was like, what? Like, he actually said thank you. And I've only been in the sports industry for like a year and a half, but I've noticed that people that have made to the top, whether it's like ESPN, CBS Sports, whatever it is, people are willing, maybe not everybody, but most of them are willing to take time out of their busy day to help you or talk to you about anything. And and, and Grant Wall was definitely one of those guys you know great writer uh good person and was very passionate about the beautiful game and helped influence and push soccer coverage to where it is now i don't think soccer would coverage would have gotten nearly as far as it is today if it wasn't for grant wall and that was just who he was a guy attempting to build bridges where you agree with him or disagree with him he lifted you up when you were down and gave you some like support, like supported you and treated you like you belong no matter what. I think that's the big thing about Grant, about his legacy is that he treated you like you belong. And so many stories I read on Twitter or the athletic or ESPN, whatever it was, talked about that and how he helped get people into the sports media and covering soccer. So I just wanted to take a moment just to talk about Grant Wall's legacy and express my condolences to his wife, Salim, his brother, Eric, and his family and loved ones as I go through this difficult time. Now let's talk about the FIFA World Cup so far in Qatar. And man, I don't even know what day it is. What's today? Wednesday? No, today's Tuesday. <clears throat> so I just watched. So busy, guys. I don't even know what day it is anymore. But I just finished watching the Argentina versus Croatia game. Argentina won that game 3-0. Spoiler alert. But, wow, that game was crazy. Messi getting the, the, the penalty kick. I mean, that shot, man. Oh, my goodness. That Croatian goalkeeper had no chance stopping that one. My goodness, that was a great strike for Messi. But, you know, he, he's the GOAT. Greatest of all time for a reason. And his teammate, Julian Alvarez, getting two goals. Manchester City player getting two goals and helping. I mean, especially that second goal. That guy just kept running, 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 and he scores. That was an amazing second goal from Alvarez. 
And Argentina, wow, it's, it's it was only two weeks ago they lost to Saudi Arabia, right? It feels like it was so long ago. And yet here they are in the final, the first time since 2014, where they made that final in Brazil and lost to Germany. And Messi, you know, 35 years old, saying or at least indicating that this is going to be his last World Cup. Will he finally get the one trophy that has eluded him his entire career? I mean, we'll have to wait till Sunday now, but that'll be interesting. The but Croatia, though, look for a country that the size what, what four million people and in back-to-back World Cups, you at least got to the semis. I know four years ago they made the final; they lost four to two to the eventual champions, France. But Croatia is so talented. So many good players on that team. I mean, everyone talks about Luka Modric, but <clears throat> that guy's a legend in his own right. And, you know, it's it's a bummer Croatia is not going to get back to the, the final, but they've been good for quite a while now. So be interesting to see what's next for Croatia. But... In the other matchup, which will be tomorrow, Wednesday, we got France against Morocco. Now, France, look, they're expected to be here. <clears throat> they had a close one against England. But for France, here's the crazy thing about France, okay? This team is, they had like, what, six players that got injured but right before the World Cup, including like ben- Benzema. Green Benzema was hurt. Pogba's obviously been hurt. Conte's been hurt. And France's roster is so full of depth players that even though they lose star players like that, they got next man up, next man up. Here we go. And of course, they got Kylian Mbappe doing his thing. And, you know, Kylian Mbappe, he can get another World Cup, another World Cup. I mean, here he has the one thing Messi doesn't have, which is a World Cup championship. And Messi's trying to get what, you know, Mbappe already has. So that's going to be. Ancient dynamic, but I don't want to jump ahead because remember, France has to beat Morocco, and I don't want to disrespect Morocco. They they've been a great story in this World Cup. A team that let's be real, I don't think anyone expected to get out in the group. They got out of the group with Belgium and Canada and Croatia, right? And they won. They won the group, which I think no one expected. They they won the group. And they didn't just win the group, guys. They had to take on Spain in the round of 16. Quarter of, uh, round of 16. 0 0. Goes to penalties. Spain can't make penalty kicks. And Morocco makes theirs to advance. Then they play Portugal, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo and Bruno Fernandes and you know, all these star players on Portugal, and they beat them. They beat them 1-0, and an impressive defensive performance from Morocco in that game in the quarterfinals. They've been <clears throat> the the true Cinderella's, in my mind at least, in this tournament. So we'll see. I, I think France and Argentina are going to be the – it's going to be the final, but who knows, Morocco, they – with Ziyech and, and those guys, they they could really spoil the party and, and make this special. But no matter what happens to Morocco, hey, 
They've proven that they are the kings of the Iberian Peninsula because you knocked out Spain and Portugal. So the the, the World Cup, you know, has, has shown entertainment despite, you know, everything else that's been going on with off-field stuff and, and, and everything. And I know, like, Fox hasn't talked about a lot of the issues with the micro workers and human rights and all these things. But I've seen like Telemundo on the Spanish feed. They, they've talked about those issues. Of course, the BBC talking about those issues. And we all know what happened with FIFA early on when the players were talking about wearing the armband, you know, support LGBTQ plus and with the rights and FIFA coming down hard talking about, we're going to give you yellow cards and sanctions and all this stuff. I'm like, really FIFA? Really? But people can ask, you know, why is the World Cup in Qatar of all places? But, you know, it's not just FIFA. We, we've seen with the Olympics. They they did have their Olympics in Russia. They had the Olympics in China. They just had the Winter Olympics in, in China. So, unfortunately, with sports, you know, sports and politics, I know people always talk about, oh, sports and politics shouldn't mix and all this stuff. But I've been telling people, sports and politics have been – together for a long time guys and it's not gonna go away anytime soon it just isn't gonna happen guys it's just the way of the world we live in but anyway i don't want to get off topic here let's let's get back on track let's talk about another divisive topic at least maybe for some people the u.s men's national team Woo! uh <laughs> i don't know where to go with this one let's talk about on the field so Look, U.S. men's national team, everyone wants to talk about, oh, well, they have done so many to, to get to the, much to get to the round of 16. But but even before the tournament started, people were criticizing about, oh, and look, rightfully so, don't get me wrong, we lost Japan friendly, we only got a draw against Saudi Arabia, we weren't looking good. And... Everyone's freaking about Greg Berhalter and his lineups and choices and all these things. But the U.S. got out of, of a challenging group. It wasn't the group of death like we've been in years past. Wales, look, we should have won that game against Wales. But we we blew that game. Walker's in Come on, man. But we blew the game. 1-1 draw. England, I felt that was our best game. That was the best game we played despite not winning that game. We... I mean, you know you did your job if you got the English fans booing their own players. That was our best game. Iran, clearly that was a must-win game. I know there was some drama going into that game, but let's be real. Anytime the USA plays Iran, there's always going to be geopolitical tension and all that kind of stuff going on. But USA, Christian Pulisic, man, took one for the team, but got us the game-winning goal to advance. And we got through to play the Netherlands. And looking back at that game, even though it was like a week and a half ago, I'm like, man, if Christian Pulisic would have scored that goal in the first three minutes of the game, it would have changed the game entirely because the USA would have changed that game. The, the Dutch would have to be chasing the game. But look, you know, the Netherlands, they they, they scored the first goal. Memphis Depay, Daily Blinn, got the second goal. And uh, we got one. We got one from Haji Wright. 
but we couldn't get another goal. And then the Dutch, of course, got one more to seal the deal three to one. And I find it funny that two former Manchester United players were the ones that scored the goals against the the Americans, uh, Daily Moen and Memphis Depay. But we're out, we're out, and it's been a, a, a week and a half since. And man, all the drama boiling. I don't go into that game. Jesus Ferreira was in, and I know a lot of people were making a, a big deal about that. But look, Josh Sargent was he injured his ankle in the previous game. He he wasn't gonna be able to play the next game. People talking about Gio Reyna and all this. And he, he played the second half of that game, but he just you know looked slow out there. And I felt at the time at least. Well, he's barely played for his club, Borussia Dortmund, since he got back from his injury. And, you know, a little rusty, you know, got to get him back in, in, in fitness, you know. But apparently, this broke yesterday, I believe. Or no, two days ago, technically, because Greg Berhalter released a statement, and then the next day, Gio Reyna released a statement. But we all heard murmurings about uh, some drama going on with the U.S. men's national team. And apparently... Gray Berhalter was not happy with his, his training effort and all this and everything. And there were reports that he was close to sending Gio Reyna home. Now, Gio Reyna was talking about, you know, hey, I, he admitted I, I didn't put much effort in, but I apologized to my teammates. And we, you know, thought everything was all good. But apparently, Gray Berhalter was still holding a grudge of that. Now, I've seen a lot of criticism on Gray Berhalter anyways, but if, I'm, if it was me, I'm, I'm looking at it like, look, if the guy's not willing to put a lot of effort, it's an easy decision. You send him home. Like, you know, I don't – and the issue I think where Greg Berhalter messed up in that situation was he deferred to the players. I'm like, you're the coach, man. You and your sister got to make a decision here. Don't put the players in here involved in this hot mess. And it was like, what, a 13-12 vote that he stays? Like, it just seems silly, man. It really does. Like, what is this, Survivor? You can vote off the island, pack your bags and go home. You know, like, so that was just crazy, crazy, crazy. And this story broke now when we still have talk between the U.S. Soccer Federation and Greg Berhalter, you know, having talks, preliminary talks about a new contract. And I know I, there was an article on ESPN last week that said that Great Berhalter may have options in Europe. And we don't know, guys. We don't know. I know everyone's an uproar about Great Berhalter's tactics and all this stuff. Now, initially, and look, it's fair to question that. But with the U.S., with the way the roster is currently constructed, you only – you have maybe – there's not a lot of depth on the roster. You have, I would say, 12 eight to 15 players – that were part of this team that you could bring back for the 2026 World Cup. But others, time to go. You know, Tim Ream, DeAndre Edlin, thank you for your service, time to go. So, and the U.S. has to find some strikers. This whole tournament, we only scored, what, three goals in like four games. That's not going to get it done. Not going to get it done. Christian Pulisic, our best player, only one goal. Not going to get it done. You gotta get a striker. Gotta get a striker. Now I know people are talking about why did you bring Ricardo Pepe? Why didn't bring Jordan Pifo? In hindsight, you probably could have brought at least one of them. I would have brought Pepe at least, but that's easier for me to say. 
And I don't know where U.S. soccer is going to go from here. I really don't. Uh, I think U.S. soccer is kind of keeping their options open. You know, we'll talk to Gray Burhalter, see if he's interested in coming back. He may not come back. He may decide, you know what, I want to seek a new challenge. I'm going to go coach in Europe. Now, I did saw a report saying that if U.S. soccer and Gray Burhalter don't reach an agreement on a new deal, then there's talks that they will look at Orlando City head coach Oscar Pereja and former Mexico coach Juan Carlos Osorio as possible candidates to take the U.S. head coaching job. Now, with Oscar Pereja, I, I know you know Orlando City close to my heart, <clears throat> but uh, they did interview him four years ago. He was the only other candidate they interviewed, but besides Gray Berhalter. But Greg Berhalter was going to get the job. And, you know, there were other candidates at that time too. Peter Vermees, you know, Tata Martino, but they didn't talk to him, those guys. And I don't know what U.S. soccer is going to do. I really don't. Uh, they have other domestic options too. You know, Jim Curtin is being a shout-out. Philadelphia Union. I get it. He's been there for a long time. He's made the Philadelphia Union, you know, relevant, young team. They've been, they won a sports shield. They just were in the MLS Cup final, even though they lost. You know, Philadelphia Union has proven to be one of the top teams in the Eastern Conference in MLS. But that's the question. He, he's never been an international coach. So that's something you got to think about. Peter Vermees, he's a, his name always gets thrown around, but I know Sporting Kansas City have a down year this past year. I don't know if they're going to consider that heavily. You know, there's Tata Martino now. He's now available after he got let go by Mexico. Would I know it didn't work out for him well at Mexico, but he knows MLS. He coached Atlanta United. He won the MLS Cup. Would they go down that route? And of course, Juan Carlos Osorio. He was he's most recently was at uh, coaching uh, a club in Colombia. I think America America de Cali. I think it was. So if I remember correctly. So those are at least some domestic options that they would consider. Abroad, of course, we know Jesse Marsh will probably be the top candidate abroad. But would Jesse Marsh want to leave Leeds? I mean, I don't think Jesse Marsh is leaving. USA has to kind of sell the job to him. But with the U.S. men's national team, it's difficult right now because I know if he hasn't determined the format for the 48-team World Cup in 2026, but we're all assuming that Canada, Mexico, and the U.S. will be automatic qualifiers because they're hosting. So in that scenario, U.S. soccer, they the only meaningful tournaments they got coming up is the Gold Cup and Copa America in 2024. And there's been rumors that the U.S., Canada, would, and Mexico could host an expanded Copa America. I think it's supposed to be 16 teams is the latest rumor I heard. So... Who knows? Who knows? You, you, that means for 2025, you're, all you're going to have is friendlies. So that's something they got to decide on. So it'll be pretty interesting with Jesse Marsh, if they can make that work. Roberto Martinez is another name that's been mentioned, but I'm just not feeling Roberto Martinez. He had the gold generation in Belgium, and he, they didn't win anything. They didn't win anything. So, you know, I don't. I think Roberto Martinez, with not getting Belgium over the hump, has kind of hurt his stock a bit. I mean, yes, he coached at Wigan, won FA Cup, but they got relegated. And he also coached at Everton, and that didn't go out well either. So who knows? 
yes, there's a Dreamland candidates like Jurgen Klopp, but I'm like, Jurgen Klopp's not leaving Liverpool. No way. The only way Jurgen Klopp's going to leave is if he's going to go to coach the German national team. He, I, th- I could see him leave Liverpool and coach that German national team. But that's not going to happen until probably after the 2024 Euros. Germany is hosting the 2024 Euros. And Hansi Flick is going to stay at least probably till then. So we'll see. Um, I know some people also talk about Pep Guardiola. Pep Guardiola is not leaving Manchester City. There's no way. America would have to break the bank to bring someone like Pep Guardiola to coach the U.S. Men's National Team. And it's just not going to happen. I feel U.S. Men's, or I'm sorry, U.S. Soccer is going to kind of go the cheap route. And look, we'll talk to Greg Berhalter. Maybe we'll, we could extend him to at least two more years to at least 2024 for Copa America. And I think that would be the smart option. Yeah, Graber Halter, I know not people like him and all this stuff, but you have another two years. And if it doesn't work out, you let him go and you still and you could potentially have more candidates than what you have currently. So but if they don't and they go a different direction, it'll be interesting to see who their coach is gonna be. But they gotta find the right guy. And hopefully they find that right guy very soon. Now, last thing to include about the World Cup, you know, very interesting World Cup, but, you know, there were disappointments too, like Belgium and, and Germany, you know, not getting out of the group. And, you know, Japan, you know, yeah, Japan, they didn't beat Croatia in the round 16, but still, you beat Germany and you beat Spain and you won the group. I mean, Japan was a great story, really cool story. So those are just some of my thoughts on the FIFA World Cup so far, and I'll talk about it again after the final on Sunday. All right, now the moment you guys have all been waiting for, Nisa. So save the best for last. So let's talk about Nisa. They've had some news that's gone on for the last month. They did announce their 2022 Best 11. And, you know, like I said, when I looked at their best 11, you know, everybody knows, no surprises. Jean Antoine, goalkeeper, Cal United. I want Diacate, Albion, Darren Espinal for the Maryland Bobcats. Taylor Gray, Chattanooga. Marcus Nagelstad, Chattanooga. Omar Nuno, Minjay Kwok for Syracuse. Alex McGrath for Chattanooga. Matt Constant for Michigan Stars. And Gareth Hogman for Cal United. And... Vasil Zongo for the Michigan Stars. That was the first team. And then the second team, they got, of course, Tatenda Makruva, goalkeeper Caleb Jackson for Syracuse, Pulse, Jonathan Firmino, Michigan Stars, Frankie Martinez, Chattanooga FC, Edwin, Rivas for the LA Force, Ian Ciro, my boy, Chattanooga FC, Richard Dixon, Chattanooga FC, Manuel Gonzalez, Maryland Bobcats FC, Steven Yunkai, Michigan Stars, FC, Tony Lopez, Cal United, and Walter Varela, Albion. So that was the list. I was kind of like, man, no, no, no room for the goalkeeper, Ben Roach. But, you know, he's a goalkeeper, and, you know, it's hard to put him over Makruva and Gene Antoine. He's had a third team. Ben Roach is definitely on the third team at the very least. But no complaints there. Pretty solid list for Nisa and their best 11. 
Let's talk about Gold Star FC Detroit. They announced over the past month that they reached an agreement with Madonna University to build a 5,000-seat soccer stadium in Livonia, Michigan, which is just outside Detroit. And it's expected to be ready by spring of 2023. Now, it seems very ambitious, but I was kind of like thinking to myself, how are they going to build a stadium? I mean, this is Michigan. I mean, it's not that far from where I'm at here in Chicago. But it's very cold right now. It's snowing in places. We got a snowstorm that's going to hit us in a couple days. Not the one that are getting on the West Coast, but at least some snow. And I know in Michigan, it's going to snow over there too. So I'm like, how are they going to build this team in the wintertime when it's going to be cold and snowing? You know, like I. Now, what kind of came to my mind was maybe they're going to do like a modular stadium setup, kind of similar to what Phoenix Rising FC in USL Championship has done in the past. And, you know, Phoenix Rising, they have played in the modular stadium recently. After they, when they first started, they were playing matches in Peoria, Scottsdale, and Tempe uh, before they recently played the modeler stadium at Wild Horse Pass in Chandler, Arizona. Now, I know Phoenix Rising FC, they will also be moving their stadium again, kind of have like a, another stadium. I'm assuming it's a modeler stadium again, but it will be closer to the airport, Sky Harbor Airport in Phoenix. So that's kind of the closest example I can kind of think of how maybe Gold Star FC Detroit is going with. And who knows, maybe they might have like a temporary stadium, but eventually build like a big time stadium for both the school and the team in the long term. NISA, they announced a couple of expansion team updates. So Thousand Oaks FC is no more. The league announced last month that Thousand Oaks FC has been taken over by Calabasas FC. Now, since then, which is back on November 18th, I cannot find any new info about this club other than they were established in 2018. That's that's all I know. I haven't seen any announcement since then. But it is expected that a team will play in Nisa in 2024. That's all I got. Now, let's talk about their other team that was announced on our team, Club de Leon FC. Nisa has granted this club an expansion team to join the league in 2023. Now, Club de Leon FC, they played in Nisa Nation this past year, and they also played in the Nisa Independent Cup. And most recently, they won the UPSL 2022 Central Florida Premier Division. Now, in case you guys didn't know, Club de Leon FC also has a team currently qualifying for the 2023 U.S. Open Cup. So there's been some confusion about, hey, what happens if Club de Leon qualifies for the Open Cup? So if Club de Leon is going to be in NISA next year as a pro side, they can't use those same players that were part of the qualifying for the tournament. So what I've seen on Instagram is for Club de Leon, because they don't have a website, and their, and their Twitter page, they haven't posted anything since like July. So Instagram, I guess, is the best place to get current update on this team. So I saw in there they posted 
The team plans to have a pro side and an amateur side next season. The team will have tryouts on December 19th and December 20th. So that's interesting. But what's also curious is since the team is announced, like organizationally, like do they have a front office? Who's going to be CEO? The president? Who's going to be coaching this team? Who are the assistant coaches? The players? Where is this team going to play? I mean, there's just so many things that this team has to get together in such a short amount of time. And, you know, I can understand why some people might feel when the announcement was made, it's kind of rush. You know, yes, they've been successful in uh, Nisa Nation and UPSL. And I know people are making comparisons to, you know, sadly, but, you know, it's true. Value United FC, they were Olympians FC. They were in Nisa Nation last year. They got moved up to Anissa to play pro this year, and we all know how that went. So I totally understand the concern from some fans. But that's the thing I think that's more important for Club Dion is where they're going to play. Now, I used to live in Orlando, as you know, so I there are a couple of places I, I think where they could play. Uh, one option is Showalter Stadium, which is the high school stadium in Winter Park. A lot of the UPSL teams use that stadium during the fall and spring seasons. Uh, the Central Florida Panthers, they play, they're in MPSL, but they've played some games there. So, and it definitely, I believe it does meet the D3 requirements for NISA, so it should work. And look, the Michigan Stars, they play in a high school stadium. So if they can play in a high school stadium, they can make it work with Showalter Stadium. But you have high schools and you have other UPSL teams that have to work around that. Another option could be the ESPN Wild World Sports Complex soccer fields at the Walt Disney World Resort, but that is very expensive to kind of rent out those fields and stadiums to play matches there. So I don't think that's going to happen, but still it's an option. And you also have to compete with other tournaments. So not sure how that worked, but still something they could consider. Another option I thought about was they could play at UCF Soccer and Track Complex. Now, that's a 2,000-seat stadium. It clearly meets the requirements for NISA. And I think, ideally, that would be a, a good spot for, for them if they can work something out with University of Central Florida. So just some things that I thought about. So we'll see how it works out with Club De Leon FC. But looking forward to having Orlando team in NISA pro next year savannah clovers fc they hosted their third and final id trials at memorial stadium this past weekend as they worked to finalize their roster for the inaugural season in nisa in 2023 so savannah clovers fc another team i'm excited to watch next year they have coach organization everything and making the final touches and hopefully they'll make some Announcements on their signings very soon. Maryland Bobcats FC, their U18 team, uh, boys team, they traveled to North Carolina for the college showcase, and they won their first game 2-0, led by Maryland Bobcats FC president of the Youth Academy and assistant coach Alex Kao. So Maryland Bobcats, you know, Got a really solid pro team, really building up the, the youth organization there. And with a former player like Alex Kale leading that, 
Uh, really looking forward to see what the Maryland Bobcats do building on the youth development moving forward. Now, to close out the show, we do have some NISA Nation news. As I mentioned earlier, they for NISA Nation, they've been very quiet and I haven't heard anything, but we finally got some news that broke on November way back on November 30th, and that the National Independent Soccer Association appointed Matt Morse as the new managing director of NISA Nation. And just taking a quick look at the presser here. Morse brings leadership and organization skills honed over 30 years playing and working in the U.S. soccer to reset full year league for the spring of 2023. Now, Morse did most recently work as the director of operations with Southern California Seahorses, and he was also involved with the, I think it was the, the Southwest Premier League. Yeah, the Southwest Premier League. He was also the president of the Southwest Premier League. So, you know, kind of similar to Jonathan Rednauer, where he was working with the Gulf Coast Premier League, working at, worked with Nisa Nation this past year. They're bringing another guy from another, one of their affiliate leagues to work with Nisa Nation and get up and running again for the spring 2023 season. So I find it pretty interesting with that news. And wonder how it's going to work because, you know, they didn't play in the fall. They did also announce that Dennis Pope, he will be the Nisa Nation communications specialist. Talk about what's been going on in the league. So I thought that was pretty cool, too, because you, you felt like with the previous two guys, you know, Rob Patel and Jonathan Rednauer, they were running Nisa Nation, but you felt like they were doing it all by themselves. And I know some of the clubs in the league that were involved in East Nation were like, look, we, we got to have more structure, more of this, more of that, more direction from the league. And I know the commissioner, John Perucci, said that they've been working on that. They're working on rebuilding those relationships they had with previous clubs. And I know they are currently accepting applications for teams for the spring 2023 season. And that's amazing to me the question. Um, are they going to be able to, to get some of the clubs that play in East Nation to pass? to come back um like for example new york brave rsc they're one of the clubs where their ownership was kind of very vocal about issues with nisa nation can they bring them back and we already know they're going to probably bring in some new clubs so that's not going to be a concern they're going to have some new clubs participate in nisa nation my other question is is the region are we going to still have the same regions like the florida region the pacific region the Northeast region and stuff like that. Are we going to have maybe some different ones? That's another question that comes to my mind with Nisa Nation, but I'm certainly happy it's back at least. And hopefully they can work on building that connection better between Nisa Pro, Nisa Nation and its affiliate leagues. All right, everyone, well, that concludes today's episode. If you guys have any feedback, suggestions, or comments, you can reach out to me on my personal Twitter page. It's at JT underscore Taylor 88. And if you like the show and want to keep up with all the latest updates, you can follow us on our social media handles. We're on Twitter at Nisa underscore Today FC. We're also on Instagram at Nisa underscore Today FC. And we're also on Facebook 
at DC Today FC. You guys enjoy the rest of your week, and I will see you next time.